1: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for standing by. Welcome to Maple Leaf's third quarter 2020 financial results conference call. As a reminder, this conference call is being broadcasted live on the internet and recorded. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. Please note that there will be a question and answer session following the formal remarks, and we will go over the question and answer session instructions following the conclusion of the formal presentation. I would now like to turn the conference call over to James Allison. Investor Relations at Maple Leaf. Please go ahead, Mr. Allison.
2: Thank you, Joanna, and good morning, everyone. Speaking on the call this morning will be Michael McCain, Chief Executive Officer, Curtis Frank, Chief Operating Officer, and Hert Verellen, Chief Financial Officer. Before we begin, I would like to remind you that some statements made on today's call may constitute forward-looking information, and our future results may differ materially from what we discuss. Please refer to our Q3 2020 MDNA and other information on our website for a broader description of operations and risk factors that could affect the company's performance. We've also uploaded our Q3 investor deck to our website, which includes support material for the quarter. As always, the investor relations team will be available after the call for any follow-up questions or any detailed modeling questions you might have. With that, I'll now turn the call over to Michael McCain. Michael.
3: Thank you, uh, James, and good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining Maple Leafs' uh, third quarter 2020 earnings call. I'm joined today by Curtis Frank, our Chief Operating Officer, and uh, Hert Varelen, our Chief Financial Officer. On the call, we will discuss the performance of our business during the third quarter, as well as the outlook for 2020 and beyond, and then we'll open the call to questions. We continue to do our best at Maple Leaf through the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's been devastating for many and life-changing for all of us. Through this, Maple Leaf continues to evolve as an organization, but our purpose and our commitment to shared value remains unchanged. This includes supporting a safe, economically robust, and more inclusive society moving forward. Maple Leaf remains guided by three core principles, first and foremost protecting our people while we operate our critical infrastructure because of our early action in responding to this crisis we were able to maintain business stability and continuity while implementing procedures and protocols to protect our people this has really uh, put to the test it was put to the test this summer when brandon manitoba the location of our main primary pork processing facility at a significant and sustained community outbreak of COVID-19. We responded immediately to further enhance our COVID-19 measures, including additional testing and contact tracing. We worked alongside local health officials, our union and the community to flatten and hopefully extinguish the curve. We were able to determine through very careful and comprehensive investigations that throughout this community outbreak, our facility remained a safe working environment with no evidence of any workplace transmission of the virus it was absolutely critical to keep our employees safe and it was crucial to maintain operations to fulfill our role as an essential service and keep our operations running and running safely unfortunately some team members testing positive and a new protocol from china restricting importation of food products from facilities that had COVID cases, we voluntarily stopped shipping to China. We also bore the impact of high absenteeism rates for an extended period of time, which commercially impacted our ability to produce the value-added products that drive our business model. We are in the process now of being relisted in China and hope uh, to begin shipping into this important channel sometime in the near future. Curtis will take us through this in more detail in a few minutes. The second core principle is maintaining the security and continuity of our supply chain, allowing us to continue fulfilling our essential role in providing food for Canadian and international markets. Building on what I just mentioned with respect to our Brandon Manitoba facility, our team has been tireless in their efforts to operate with minimal disruption in our meat protein business. Protocols, workflow, and product mix continue to evolve, and we've seen operations improve as we work through this crisis. As Curtis will discuss, we did see operational challenges in our plant protein business. While most were production issues, including ones that affected our packaging, there was also some operational impact due to the complexity of working in a COVID environment. Team is working around the clock, continuing to optimize our operational capacity and performance in that business as well. Third, we must continue to support the vulnerable communities and our stakeholders uh, through this uh, journey. Throughout the crisis, we've remained true to our purpose and our commitment to shared value. We've been actively engaged in providing our communities with emergency food relief donations and supporting frontline healthcare workers. This quarter, this included three mass distribution to the Brandon community, as well as supporting our hog-raising partners who were materially impacted by depressed hog prices due to the COVID market disruptions, which have since recovered. Turning to the business, Curtis and Hert will review our operational and financial performance, but I want to touch on how we are executing against our blueprint. We often speak of our purposeful journey and our commitment to shared value and long-term sustainable value creation. This has led us to significant advances in our blueprint for success, including becoming the first major food company in the world to to be carbon neutral just under a year ago. This journey is also one that is built for and committed to growth. We are focused on profitable growth in our meat protein business. The growth uh, strategies that, have been, uh, that we've been executing against, including the expansion of our sustainable meat platform, uh, renovating our core brands, and geographic expansion are reflected in our performance. In fact, compared to our CPG peers, we are growing at 9% on a trailing 12-month basis, almost double what our peers' top-line sales growth uh, has delivered. The success of our strategy is also evident in the progress we made in the third quarter in our meat plant, uh, sorry, our meat protein group, despite the significant disruption caused by the the, uh, pandemic. We delivered on our strategy of profitable growth in meat protein with strong sales growth coupled with gross margin and adjusted EBITDA margin expansion. In fact, we delivered the fourth consecutive quarter of adjusted EBITDA margin above 11%. In Q3, we delivered revenue growth of 6.4% and adjusted EBITDA margins of 12.1%. In our plant protein business, there's no pulling punches here. We had a very difficult quarter with performance that is unacceptable. There are several factors which impacted that performance and COVID created further complexity. But The bottom line is that we had supply chain challenges and we are laser focused on resolving them. We've built a strong foundation for plant protein by investing for growth and investing to win. And despite these uh, disappointments in our operational performance in the quarter, we are seeing very strong end demand for our products with robust POS growth that is consistent with our long-term sales target. The market continues to be a high growth uh, phase Uh, And consumers are refining their tastes in plant protein. Our brand uh, renovation, portfolio of products, and our continued investment in brand development makes us extremely well-positioned to remain a strong long-term player in this market. So I'll now turn over the call to Curtis, and he'll discuss some more details in this regard. Curtis,
4: over to you. Thank you, Michael, and good morning, everyone. As Michael noted, the challenging backdrop of the global pandemic continues, but so does the confidence we have in our strategies. Our business is built for growth, and despite what were pretty extraordinary circumstances, we delivered exceptional results in meat protein, and we saw a sustained strong demand for our plant protein products. From an operational perspective, we continue to be focused on executing our blueprint for growth. Within this particular quarter, meeting consumer demand. Accelerating product innovation and driving operational efficiencies, all while keeping our people safe, remain front and center. As a result of the successful execution of our blueprint, we have been able to absorb over $40 million in incremental costs associated with COVID 19 on a year to date basis. Of course, simply absorbing these costs is not sustainable over the long term. And to the extent that these additional protocols become an ongoing cost, we will take actions to reflect these new inflationary realities into our product costs. Turning to segment performance and starting with meat protein, our performance was very strong, headlined by the continued delivery of key strategic initiatives, which helped us to mitigate the impacts of COVID-19. For example, our sustainable meats platform grew by 25% in the quarter, led by our Greenfield brand, and our strategy to expand our sustainable meats portfolio into the US market continued to deliver strong growth and exceptional results. Additionally, we saw almost 20% growth along with market share expansion in our retail branded portfolio, reinforcing the strength of our brands following the success of our brand renovation initiatives. During the quarter, we also introduced several new innovative products, including Maple Leaf Prepped and Ready and new varieties of Schneider's kits. Despite the complexities and challenges of the pandemic itself, we saw a third consecutive quarter of improved operating efficiencies in the meat protein business. While the pork complex remained above five-year averages, this tailwind was entirely offset by the costs associated with COVID-19. Beyond the incremental costs that we have incurred to protect our people, COVID-19 did create some additional headwinds for us in the quarter. As Michael mentioned, there was a community outbreak in Brandon, Manitoba, where our main pork processing plant is located. For a brief period, heightened absenteeism impacted both our processing capacity within the plant and our mix of products available. Additionally, China introduced a new protocol in late July that required any plant reporting a COVID-19 positive case to temporarily suspend its exports. Despite no evidence of a transmission within our plant and our continued commitment to the health and safety of our people, we voluntarily halted shipments to China in early August. We are diligently working to obtain reinstatement and we will update you when we are successful in this pursuit. Turning to plant protein, as Michael mentioned, we were clearly unhappy with our performance within the quarter. Supply chain disruptions were amplified by the impact of COVID-19, and together, these two factors impaired our ability to meet what was strong consumer demand. Our plant protein business proved to be more susceptible to the complexities arriving from the pandemic, impacting operations in the short term, as well as adding costs. We took immediate, decisive action to address these issues, and we expect to see operational improvements within the fourth quarter. As we look forward, our confidence in the long-term success of our business model remains unchanged. Not only is the plant protein category showing no sign of slowing down, we are seeing strong, consistent growth in demand for our light life and our field-growth products. Demand for our brands remains strong in the third quarter, as IRI data for the U.S. market reflected 29% POS growth for the Lightlife brand and 33% POS growth for the Field Roast brand over the 12 weeks ending October 4th. Our portfolio of brands continue to hold a solid number two market share position in the lucrative retail channel and continue to maintain market-leading distribution. Equally important to our position today is how we are setting ourselves up to win tomorrow. As the plant protein category evolves, so do consumers' motivations for purchasing our products. This summer, we took a page from our highly successful brand renovation playbook into plant protein, while paying careful attention to the unique characteristics of this category. After completing the most extensive consumer research in the history of the US plant protein category, we moved to renovate and relaunch our Lightlife brand, focusing on delivering simple and recognizable ingredients. This renovation taps into a growing number of consumers whose desire for natural, healthy alternatives has been largely underserved to date. We doubled down on the Lightlife Life relaunch in August with our Clean Break campaign, highlighting this innovative brand positioning through our largest marketing effort to date, including national TV, social media, digital advertising, and in-store support. This fall, we are also taking steps to renovate our field roast brand. We're starting with rolling out refreshed packaging design, which will be followed by a new breakthrough advertising campaign, one that is focused on bold and unique flavors. We're excited to share more on this important initiative with you over the months to come. Our plant protein strategy continues to be rooted in our strong market position in a three horse race, and we believe there is room for these players. We continue to have unwavering confidence in our business model, and remain very confident in the long-term goals that we have for the Greenleaf business. I'll now turn it over to Hirt, who will review our financial performance in greater detail.
5: Hirt, over to you. Thank you, Curtis, and good morning, everyone. I'll begin today by discussing the company's consolidated performance during the third quarter. I will then uh, turn to a more detailed look at both our meat and plant protein groups. I'll conclude by speaking to some key financial metrics, CapEx, and our outlook for the remainder of the year. Sales for the quarter were approximately $1.1 billion, an increase of 6.2 from the prior year. This increase was driven primarily by strong performance from our meat protein operating segment. Adjusted EBITDA for the third quarter was approximately 83 million, a 55% increase from the prior year with strong growth in our meat protein group, partially offset by continued strategic investments in plant protein. Total company adjusted EBITDA margin was 7.8% for the quarter, an increase of 240 basis points from the same period last year. Results included the impact of incremental operating costs due to COVID-19, as well as those associated with the disruption resulting from the community outbreak in Brandon, Manitoba, that Michael and Curtis uh, already spoke about. Direct costs associated with COVID-19 totaled $19 totaled ninety million dollars and are largely captured in cost of goods sold. This was slightly higher than our expectations in July due to incremental costs to protect and support our people during the community outbreak in Brandon, as well as support for our third-party hog suppliers during a period of severely depressed hog markets, as Michael mentioned. Other costs, including PPE, sanitation, were largely in line. Just like in Q2, We were able to partially mitigate the $19 million in direct costs through SG&A savings in discretionary spend categories, including lower spend on travel and training, as well as reduced marketing spend, as we continue to evolve our advertising and promo to reflect the current environment. As a result, the net impact of COVID was $12 million in the quarter, which had a dilutive impact to our adjusted EBITDA margin. Adjusted operating earnings for the quarter were $37 million compared to $10 million in the prior year, primarily due to significant strength in meat protein's commercial performance with an offset from increased strategic investments in plant protein and the COVID-19 cost I just discussed. Net earnings for the quarter were $66 million or $0.54 per basic share compared to net earnings of $13 million last year or $0.11 per basic share. Now, after removing the impact of non-cash fair value uh, changes in biological assets and derivative contracts for both periods, adjusted earnings per share were $0.17 cents for the third quarter this year, compared to $0.03 cents in the prior year. I'll now turn to a discussion of Maple Leaf's two operating segments. Let's start with meat. Meat protein uh, sales for the third quarter were roughly $1 billion, or an increase of 6.4% from the prior year. This improvement was driven by strong demand in the retail channel, growth in branded and sustainable meats, as well as higher value-added exports sales to the U.S. and Asian markets. While food service volumes remained down versus last year, we did see a sequential improvement compared to the trend in the second quarter. Meat protein adjusted EBITDA for the third quarter was $123 million, a significant increase of 44% compared to prior year. This growth was mainly due to higher retail volumes, favorable product and channel mix, and strong operational performance. These positive drivers more than offset the incremental COVID-19 costs incurred in the quarter. Adjusted EBITDA margin for the meat segment was 12.1%, representing a 310 basis point improvement over the prior year. We continue to benefit from the investments we have made over the last couple of years, such as brand repositioning, focus on sustainable meat, increasing our value added exports and cost optimization projects. All these elements have supported robust top line growth and consistent adjusted EBITDA expansion. Indeed, this is the fourth quarter in a row of consistent year over year margin expansion for meat. 12 month trailing adjusted EBITDA margin now stands at 12% we are well on our way to achieving our long-term margin target range of 14 to 16% in meat protein, despite the incremental cost to keep our people safe and our supply chain running. Turning now to Plant Protein Group, where we continue to invest for growth in a high potential market. Plant protein sales for the third quarter were $51.4 million, an increase of 9.3% from the prior year, or 8.2% in constant currency terms. Sales were impacted by supply chain disruptions amplified by the complexities related to COVID-19. This resulted in temporarily reducing our ability to meet the growing demand for our products. As Curtis and Michael have mentioned, we have remediated this and expect improvements in the fourth quarter. While we remain primarily focused on sales growth and brand building, we continue to work on structural improvements in plant protein gross margin. Gross margin for the quarter was 6.6%, but it was also severely impacted by the operational challenges I just noted. Continued supply chain efficiencies as well as the cost related to COVID-19. Over the next few quarters, we expect gross margin to continue to be impacted by sales building initiatives. And at the same time, we will continue to improve structural margins, including improvements in transportation and distribution efficiency. sg expenses in plant protein were 46 a half million or 90.5% of sales in line with our plan. We remain on track to reaching our full-year investment of about $150 million in advertising, promotion, and marketing, organizational capacity, and our innovation pipeline. Let's now turn to our balance sheet. Maple Leafs balance sheet remains strong with $535 million in net debt and $1.3 billion in undrawn committed credit. While the company has the financial flexibility necessary to complete near-term capital projects, we remain focused on deploying this capital in an efficient and balanced manner with the goal of maximizing shareholder value. During the third quarter, we invested $104 million in CapEx, including construction capital of 72 million. These expenditures were primarily related to the construction of our new poultry facility in London, Ontario, and year-to-date CapEx is just over 300 million, now including about 192 million in construction capital. This is behind the pace and timing that we anticipated, largely due to an overall slowdown in work and spend as a result of the pandemic. We already talked about that in the second quarter as well. Turning now to our outlook. Please note that our expectations are based on certain assumptions regarding the future of our markets. As expected, the onset of COVID-19 has introduced a degree of uncertainty here. This includes potential volatility in the pork and poultry commodity and currency markets that remain elevated in the face of COVID-19. We have outlined the known and unknown factors, including the above, for the balance of 2020 in our slide deck that is available on our website. While we deal with the challenges created by the pandemic, we maintain our strategic focus on profitable growth in the meat protein group and investing to grow in our plant protein group. Our underlying business continues to advance, and we expect to continue to see heightened but somewhat stabilized demand from the retail channel with lower sales from food service. We expect that incremental COVID-related expenses, such as personal protection equipment and increased sanitation, will be approximately 15 million in the fourth quarter, which will bring the amount to approximately 57 million for the full year. And just like in the previous quarters, we will continue to look for ways to reduce expenditures in other areas to mitigate some of these incremental expenses. Factoring in Maple Leaf's financial performance for the year to date, as well as our estimate for the incremental COVID-19 costs, our expectations for the full year 2020 include, first and foremost, mid to high single digit sales in meat protein, led by sustainable meats and higher sales to the US and Asian markets. We expect this to be coupled with gross margin expansion and cost efficiencies, resulting in significant meat protein adjusted EBITDA margin expansion for 2020 and solidly progressing towards our goal of 14 to 16 by 2022. Second, in the plant protein group, we remain committed to a business model that drives 30% revenue growth and gradually improving gross margin towards 30% long term. Due to supply chain and COVID-19 disruptions largely experienced in Q3, we expect revenue growth in 2020 will be slightly below our strategic 30% target, while gross margin is expected to be below 2019 levels, driven by similar factors, as well as other inherent efficiencies in building a high-growth business. Thirdly, we continue to anticipate SG&A expenses in the plant protein group, of roughly $150 million or $110 million in USD, assuming no further material change to foreign exchange rates. The rationale for these investments remains unchanged, consisting of advertising, promotion and marketing, and items related to building scale within a business. And finally, capital expenditures. Incorporating our spend year-to-date, as well as other factors, including the continued impact of COVID-19 on the pace and timing of construction and facility improvements, we now estimate total capex for the year between 450 and $500 million. The bulk of this uh, continues to consist of construction capital primarily related to the construction of the London Poultry Facility. I would also like to highlight a couple of updates to our two large construction projects, our London Poultry Facility and our proposed plant protein facility in Shelbyville. Starting with our London facility, we recently completed a full assessment of the impact of COVID-19 and other events have had on the timing and cost of construction. Through careful planning, we continue to expect completion and startup to commence by mid-2020. However, due to the robust construction economy in Ontario and complexities associated with the pandemic, Certain material costs have exceeded our initial expectations, and while we have been successful at mitigating some of this through engineering and design work, we now expect total construction costs to be approximately $720 million, up from 660 million as we announced back in late
6: 2018.
5: With regards to building capacity to support our high-growth plant protein business, we've been purposeful in executing our multi-tiered strategy focused on capital efficiency. We continue to find ways to leverage the capacity of our existing plant protein manufacturing assets while successfully utilizing utilizing footprint in the rest of our network. We now expect these efforts to meet the capacity needs of the business beyond 2022, providing greater flexibility to extend the development horizon of the Shelbyville facility. With that, I'll conclude with saying how impressed I am with the continued strength of our business despite the challenging operating environment. We believe we are well-positioned for the future and remain committed to and confident in our longer-term targets. Michael, back to you.
3: Thank you, uh, Curtis and Herrick, for that uh, comprehensive review. Our our strength at Maple Leaf in consumer packaged goods, our brand development, product positioning, and manufacturing have been built over decades in this industry, Uh, and we've been measured and extremely strategic in our approach to how we build Maple Leaf for long-term growth. Our experience in the meat protein industry has taught us that building brands and operational capacity and efficiencies can take time and can have some twists and turns along the way if you're focused on the long term. I'm confident that our quick recovery from the operational issues experienced in Q3 in our plant protein business, as well as the underlying consumer demand for our products, will result in continued growth meeting our long-term targets. As we exit 2020 and enter 2021, COVID-19 remains ever-present and we have to assume that we'll be operating in this type of environment for many months to come. I'm confident that we have the organizational capabilities and the management expertise to navigate through through this while staying true to our values and our purposeful journey. I'd like to conclude by expressing my profound gratitude to our frontline team members who come to work each and every day but make the food on which we all depend. I'm humbled and I'm grateful for your commitment and inspired by the dedication of all our people to persevere and succeed in this difficult environment. So with that operator, we'll turn it over to questions.
1: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press the star followed by the one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three tone prompt acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please let the handset before pressing any keys. The first question comes from Mark Petrie. Please go ahead.
7: Yeah, good morning. Um, I just want to ask morning, about man. the current level of productivity at your plants. Um, you know, you called out the issues regarding absenteeism at Brandon, um, and then um, uh, also on the plant-based side, could you just comment about the relative sort of run rate capacity? um both in brandon and in plant-based as as it uh, as it stands today yeah uh it's a great question mark and good morning um
3: in brandon uh when there during the period uh in which there was a community outbreak notwithstanding the fact that we had no evidence of any workplace transmission there were higher levels of absenteeism which affected our ability to produce at the normal rates and particularly our ability to produce the value added product mix that is fundamental to our business model. But that occurred during the period of the community outbreak uh, and has since recovered. Uh, The balance of our meat protein uh, network uh, is operating under the very strict and robust protocols that we put in place, but at full efficiency and productivity levels. In the case of plant protein, where, as you know, uh, in the United states the uh, the pandemic uh, has a much more severe uh, impact than it does here, and has had uh, implications to both our ability to launch innovation uh, and our ability to meet uh, current uh, production needs due to those uh, uh, those impacts. Uh, that has we have seen some improvement uh, more recently. Uh, but uh, there is a bit of, there is some, uh, some more sustaining implications there than, than here. Uh, but we've taken, as Curtis uh, had mentioned, uh, we've taken uh, steps to mitigate that, and we think we'll see a substantial improvement into the fourth quarter.
7: Okay, thank you. And, and I know you don't give sort of, you know, specific guidance with regards to, um, you know, Q4 or, or sort of the commentary um about the performance so far. But just kind of trying to think through how these production issues in plant base are going to affect the POS trends uh in Q four. Obviously you were able to keep POS trends um very strong in Q three despite the product production issues. Um but mm-hmm. how should we think about the impact uh on Q four?
3: Um I think just because of the lag time in POS, that you will see some uh, some lagging softness in POS and some strengthening in factor shipments. That's logical to assume, right? Uh, and that's probably the best uh, the best information that I can give you. As as uh, both Hert and Curtis articulated, we do expect to see a significant recovery in the fourth quarter. Uh, there was there was definitely be some bleed over of the supply chain implications into the fourth quarter, but we're starting to see uh, you know some significant recovery of that because of the mitigating actions that we've taken. Uh, I think though the the most you know, and I, I would I would really really encourage Mark and all the others on this call not to uh, you know to to put uh, to put this quarter into uh, perspective. Uh, the first perspective is, is that you know yes we lost uh, we lost uh, eight or ten million dollars in uh, top line growth in the quarter out of a billion dollars of sales portfolio it's you know it's about eight or ten million dollars so it's really not that significant we sometimes get obsessed by the growth rate but our more important metric uh, is what is the underlying consumer demand telling us and as Curtis highlighted it's been very robust. In fact, uh, uh, what's evolved in the market, uh, Mark, is, uh, is basically a three-horse race. Uh, it was a two-horse race, and now it's sort of a three-horse race.
7: Uh,
3: and interestingly, as the third horse came into the retail market, the vast majority of their gains came from the number one player, and our performance was remarkably stable uh, and, and consistent. Uh, without much impact to uh, to our base business and our performance, uh, we view that and the continuity of our uh, demand strength to be really, really good signals. In addition, as Curtis highlighted, uh, we just in the third quarter launched our uh, new brand renovations in these categories, which I think takes us into the next phase of brand development uh, in the Plant-based meat alternative segment, and I am really excited about the uh, the products, the innovation pipeline, and particularly the brand strategies that we've locked into. So uh, I know that we sometimes obsess about a quarterly percentage, but uh, I will tell you quite confidently that I'm not obsessed by that at all. We have some we have some supply chain issues. They were driven by a number of factors, not the least of which is COVID. And, uh, you know, we press on. And uh, and the underlying uh, actions that we're taking to strengthen our long-term proposition behind the brands is uh, more solid today than it's ever been.
7: Okay, I appreciate that comment, uh, Michael. And, and just the, the last one for me. Um, Curtis, you highlighted the materiality of the pandemic related costs that um, that your the business has absorbed. Uh, Michael, you commented about, you know, sort of how the pandemic has kind of brought about a new normal, I guess, in some respects, with regards to, um, you know, operating um, costs or constraints, and, and then, you know, the potential for this all to be reflected in your price structure over the course of time. Just sort of curious about how you're thinking about the timing uh in that evaluation and how you think that plays out. Curtis, over to you. Uh hi,
4: yeah, thank you. Um I think, you know, I would start by saying uh the review of our inflationary and um and uh, including commodities and, and other general inflationary businesses an ongoing practice that we obviously have in our in our pricing discipline. When it comes to COVID-19 specifically, which I think was your question, there's essentially you know, two types of costs, or at least certainly the way we think about it. Uh, those that are you know, one-time in nature and those that are, are structural and, and uh, that we believe will will we'll have to endure over the long term. Uh, from a one-time perspective, it's been clear you see in our results and our disclosures that we've absorbed uh, those costs on a, on a year-to-day basis. When it comes to the structural components, um we will we will move to where required and only those that are structural and native, we will move to embed in our in our cost structure as you as you mentioned and we would expect those to be reflected uh, as we move through the fourth quarter here or begin to be reflected in the market as we as we move through the fourth quarter
7: all right appreciate all the comments guys all the best thanks
1: Mark. thank you the next question comes from Irene Patel.
8: please go ahead Thanks and, and good morning, everyone. A couple of follow-up questions. Good morning, Michael. A couple of follow-up questions, please. Um, if we could start with the uh, sort of the discussion around the COVID costs and the I completely understand the one-time versus the structural, but can you give us an idea of what you might estimate? Let's call it the structural costs to be. And when you say that they'll be reflected in the market as you move through Q4, are what you say, are, are you saying that you will try and implement price increases in Q4 to cover those costs?
3: We, we've, uh, we uh, as part of our normal rhythm, uh, execute in the fall of every year uh, price adjustments to reflect inflationary changes. And... Um, uh, we uh, estimated our structural costs attached to a new operating uh, environment that we believe the entire industry will be adopting, uh, and, uh, and included that in our inflationary uh, pricing adjustments that we do each and every year at this time of the year. So, I hope that's helpful, Irene.
8: Um, yes. Could you give us an idea of no. order of magnitude? <laughs> okay. No, no, we can't.
3: it's hard. It's hard to tease out the. You know the, the the those elements versus our normal inflationary costs.
8: Right. Okay, but but can you give us an idea of what order of magnitude you might be sort of pointing toward in terms nope. of pricing? To you? okay, okay, nope. got it. Um, if we think about uh, sort of the plant-based um, segment, um, as we look toward twenty twenty-one. Um, you're entirely confident that you will have enough capacity to meet what sh- what will hopefully be you know the thirtieth percent level of top line growth uh,
3: y- yes uh, i I do believe that we will be able to meet that strategic target in twenty twenty one from a capacity perspective uh we are we work constantly, constantly, to find more efficiency and more effectiveness, and therefore more capacity out of our existing network, both plant and meat. Uh, and as uh, as was highlighted, we are now uh, producing uh, significant portions of our plant-based portfolio on our meat uh, uh, in our meat facilities. Um, but I would. You know, I would tell you, my our hope would be is that we would, uh, you know, we could uh, overachieve those numbers, and you know, the the more we overachieve them, maybe there would be some stresses there. But uh, yes, the base strategic target, we're confident we can meet
8: that. That's great, thank you. And I'm I'm also trying to to understand the language around Shelbyville. So, if I'm reading this correctly, um, you now believe that you have enough capacity because of the innovations or because of the the progress you've made to not require the capacity of Shelbyville until some point beyond 2022. So when we're thinking ahead, should we be factoring the Shelbyville CapEx into our, like if we're building models out to 22, let's say, do we, you know, we don't need to think about Shelbyville. Like, at what point do we need to start thinking about Shelbyville in, in terms sort of the capital requirements, I guess is what I'm really asking.
3: Eric, do you want to take that one?
5: Sure. So Irene, what we've tried to articulate is that, uh, just as Michael said, with the, with the capacity that we find in our existing plant network and existing meat, we can get um, safely through the uh, next year, definitely, and 2022 so that's the reason why we do not today want to start um, forking out a lot of a lot of capital and building something that um we can we can um, we can uh, deliver in terms of capacity in the rest of in the rest of our network um now all of that depends on, on how the market evolves. And so we, we continue to find you in our plans in that sense, which is exactly what we've been doing all through, through this year. And, and we're very happy that we found other ways to, to serve that capacity. Now, if you wanna think longer term, I think the rule of thumb that we have always used is that you should, you should model for roughly $1 of capital for every $2 of revenue. So as you start to model into that sales growth number um I would I would continue to use that. Today we have not made any further uh I would say very, very detailed plans on that, but that's the rule of thumb I would use uh, going forward.
3: That's great. Only, Thank you. Uh, Irene, the only thing I would add for you and for others on the call is uh, because we have a multi-tiered supply chain strategy in our plant based business, what, what hertz just articulated is very, very good news for the shareholders here. Because it says that we are going to manage capital risk and exposure very carefully by sweating the assets that we currently have and maximizing the performance of our existing assets before we commit to new capital. And the more we can do that, that pushes out that new, more expensive new capital, the better off it is while still meeting the demand. So this is, it, it, to our, our view is that this is a very good news story.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. The next question comes from Michael Van Eyst. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Um, Mark.
7: uh,
2: First, a quick follow up on the the price increase. So if you, you institute the price increase uh, in Q4, um, when does it actually take effect usually? Curtis?
4: Uh, hi, good morning, Michael. Um, uh, we've instituted for uh, execution early uh, in the fourth quarter, and we'll start. We'll we'll see the benefits of that pricing take effect throughout throughout the fourth quarter. But uh, but safe to say, early in the uh, early in the fourth quarter, and transitioning as the uh, as the quarter progresses.
2: Okay, so we should get some of it early in the Q4, and get most of it by the end of the Q4. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Keep, keep in uh, keep in mind, Michael, please, that this is these
3: are these are these are normal pricing rhythms to offset the inflation, the natural inflation that exists in our business.
2: Right, but that natural inflation includes some of the COVID costs that you think will stick around. Yes. All right. Um, as just going back to the plant-based operational challenges, can you, you talk about being laser focused on, on resolving them? Uh, can you walk us through the changes that you're be, that
7: are being made
2: um so far and what else still has to be done?
4: Curtis,
3: do you want to take that one? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, well, a couple,
4: there, there are a couple of factors, obviously, that uh, contributed to the supply chain challenges that we saw um, in, the, in the business. One was uh, uh, service level related, uh, predominantly in our Turner's Falls facility, and, um, and that was directly linked to a packaging disruption that we have that we feel is now uh, resolved. Obviously, it's going to take some time, as we discussed earlier, to fill. Uh, the pipeline uh, heading into the uh, quarter here, but uh, for the most part we feel uh, that that's resolved. The other complexities that we've experienced have been uh, related predominantly to labour efficiency, which again is obviously uh, related to the COVID-19 situation and the the leading indicators that we're seeing in the business suggest that the corrective actions that we've taken uh, swiftly have contributed to positive results and, uh, and we're already seeing improvements. Uh, that will, you know, to Michael's point, somewhat bleed into the fourth quarter, but we also
2: expect will be fully resolved in the fourth quarter. Okay, great. And, and considering that you know you're you you, you are sweating the assets, uh, and it seems to be creating some stress in in getting product out at times when you do have these um, these issues at, at one plant, you don't have much room to adapt. Is there any thought of using more third-party co-packers? Uh, so that you you have a backup in these situations?
3: Uh, having Using co-packers as a backup strategy on a short-term situation like this, Michael, is just uh, ne- nearly impossible to execute in that time horizon. A- and it's very difficult to keep that, uh, difficult if not prohibitively expensive, to keep it uh, uh, on reserve when you
2: don't need it. So No, but
8: I, my question uh, is
2: more, could you have use it for 20% of your production but with some an accordion kind of where you can ramp it up to 25 or 30 if you need to in well, certain that, periods
3: as here articulated we do have a multi-tiered strategy and, and to the extent that we do need a, uh, additional demand that can't be or supply that can't be covered by our network we do uh, use and seek out co-packers today so the answer to that is where we can the answer is yes uh, but it's uh, you know, when you've got a short term disruption like this uh, of the nature of COVID, it's virtually impossible to just react quickly and get a copac supply in place, particularly in some products like uh, like uh, tempeh, for example, which is uh, significantly impacted in the quarter. Well, nobody produces tempeh like we do. There are no copackers available. So, okay. So uh, the short. So I I think, in summary, uh, the answer is yes, where we can,
2: but it's not something you can pivot uh, on a dom. Okay, and I guess a similar question for the advertising component. I I don't know what percentage the advertising was of your kind of 150 million annual SG&A, but I mean, is, is it? Did you give any thought, or were you unable to cutting back temporarily when it was clear that you wouldn't be able to supply all? Uh, and restock the shelves as quickly? We could have, I think given the fact that
3: we were launching brands in the quarter, uh, Michael, I think that would have been highly inappropriate in the long-term. Might have helped a quarterly number, but it would have been completely inappropriate in terms of brand development in the quarter. So, uh, so um, could have, but, but I think would have been a bad decision to do so. Okay.
2: And then on the um, exports to China, um, can you explain what the process is in terms of getting it back and what
6: stage you are?
2: Um,
3: first of all the process is
6: is very opaque.
3: Um the decisions are, you know, not made um made in a process that is uh that anybody anybody in the world is fully aware of. Uh, but we've uh, made uh, all of our appropriate submissions. The, the uh, facility is is operating under the the uh, under the uh, uh, the protocols that we that we have in place and successfully. And uh, you know, we continue to work with uh, all of the regulatory and government officials to try and get that done as quickly as possible to put a time frame on that. It's just—it's just not something that we can. Uh, we're hopeful it'll be soon, but—but but it's just not something that we either control or can transparently uh, or have enough transparency to be able to describe to you exactly what that looks like. All right. Thanks.
1: Thank you. The next question comes from George Dumais. Please go ahead.
6: Good morning, guys. Uh, just a follow-up on the on the um, on the plant side of things. Um, outside of of packaging and, and COVID-related inefficiencies, uh, were there any other issues there on the production side? And can you maybe share with us the the growth number exiting the quarter? The the which number, George? Uh, the the growth. Like, how much was the growth? Like, I, you guys gave like a, an average for the quarter, but how much was it like exiting the quarter? Just kind of, if you can share that to see the level the level of improvement. Curtis, do you want to take that one? Uh, yeah, good morning church. Um, uh,
4: um, so in terms of i think I think we've covered your first part of your question was have we covered the the the, the full implications of uh, of what we experience in the supply chain I think we've I think to a large extent I think we've covered those um, the uh, the ex- exiting the quarter, I don't have the numbers in front of me, sorry, and uh, here to if you have them happy to have you jump in so i'm I'm not going to answer your question correctly, but more only because I don't have the period numbers right in front of me, but I would say um, it was a very similar situation throughout the quarter, and we typically don't disclose the phasing uh, of growth by month. I think what's most important is, at least from my perspective, maybe a couple of points. Number one, um, we committed that our perspective on growth in this category would be 30% over the long term. We shared that we knew it would not be linear, and we would have quarters that were under and over that expectation, a Q2 was certainly over and a Q3 was challenged and, and we accept the fact that we need to be better. What hasn't changed is our confidence, our long-term ability to be at the 30% growth level and I think what's most important in Q3 is to look to the POS data, more importantly than the phasing you know, by week or month, uh, which indicates the demand for the brand remains strong. So. I think that is what we're most pleased with, and we know that throughout q four we will resolve uh to a significant to a very significant extent the supply chain issues, so that's where we're that's where we're focused
6: okay and in the absence of uh of Shelbyville um, being built, uh, how should we think of the margin profile for plants can Can we get to gross margins of you know two thousand and nineteen levels next year?
3: Um, Eric, do you want to take that one? Yeah. Um, George, I
5: would really like to stay away from giving any guidance for next year at this point. Um, that's, um, that's I think, far too early to say. It is What is important is that we remain committed to getting both the sales growth profile and the margin profile up uh, and gradually get in line with what we believe the long-term one is. And we've been, we've been very vocal in, 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 in our belief and in repeating our belief that we can get to that 30% sales growth, we can get to that uh, 30%-ish margin. Um, but it is going to take time. And as this year has showed, it's going to be uh, with ups and downs from quarter to quarter. So this is really one where we, we need to take the longer-term lens and, and not go from quarter to quarter because with a business, the scale that we have right now and with the high pressure that we put on growth, there is going to be inherent pressure from quarter to quarter on, on the gross margin. Um, and we're, we're, we're going to have to grow our way into this. Um, I think the, the, the what you should take away from this call is the confidence that we have in whatever we have put in place to remediate the um, the actions or the, the, the events of, of Q3 and the team's diligence in, in finding ways to either pro- improve the the ingredient decks, or improve the the productivity of the plants and the distribution capabilities that we have, and I, I, we we've got a lot of confidence in, the, in that. So you'll see a a, a sequential improvement, but um, it's going to take a while before we get to the
6: 30%. Okay, and just one last one thing on the on the, the meat side of the equation. Um, can you maybe quantify the uh, the dollar we spent for support of the third party hog suppliers? michael do you see yourself adopting um, a cutout value system like like some of your competitors uh
3: no we we i first first of all the first part of your question george thank you for that question it's an important one uh uh, we we are not breaking out uh the the cost of different components uh of our COVID costs uh, that would include the hog producer payment um Uh, as far as the as far as a cutout based contract uh as we've told all of our producer partners today and they're aware they're very well aware of that is that uh, because we uh, because we index our contracts to the cme uh, in chicago uh, the cme uh, contract uh, as an index price the cme uh, is estimated by the industry to include Roughly 35% uh, cutout component. So, uh, so we do have in our and have had for years uh, an ex- in our existing contract position a significant cutout component uh, has been in our has been in our contracts to date, and we expect that'll continue.
6: Okay, so no, no change to that formula there.
3: No. Okay. Thanks for your answers.
1: Thank you. The next question comes from Derek DeLay. Please go ahead.
0: Yeah, hi, thanks. Um, just a couple quick ones just on the, on the plant-based business. Can you, you know, just putting that that 30% long-term gross margin target, I guess, in, in context and, and understanding that the business has rapidly evolved, but can you just remind us what the gross margin was in that business in Light Life when you acquired it?
5: Yeah, it was, uh, it
3: was a great question, Derek. It was in the mid-30s
0: okay mid 30s and and can you can you comment on the ebitda margin as well
3: um it was it it bounced around a bit but it was um low 20s high teens okay great that's helpful
0: um and then just i'm just trying to sort of calculate the you know the pos growth that you guys referenced that 31 percent that you saw in q3 and then, you know, obviously the the weaker growth, uh, the nine percent that you saw in the shipments. Should like should we not expect a, a catch up between those two or at least a convergence between those two in in Q four as you as you backfill some of that, that inventory?
3: Well as I said, I think you I think the logic would suggest that you'll see some weakening in the POS data simply because the supply chain uh inability to produce the, the demand signal. For a short, for a very short window of time, I think, but then simultaneously, you'll see some strengthening in the, in the factory shipments. So, but yeah, those two numbers, well, you, you'll see them go in opposite directions, probably just by virtue of the fact that, that that's just, it's just a timing issue. But yes, should they converge? Yes, I think they should converge. Or oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably near the end of the quarter or something of that nature. But, but yes, um, you know, that those are natural lag, lag effects.
0: Yeah. Okay, makes sense. And then just switching to the to the meat business, can you talk about sort of? I mean, you guys have had really really strong top line growth here over the last few quarters. Um, you know, and I get you know you mentioned sustainable meats up 25%. But just I guess more broadly, can you talk about? Is it a, is it more volume growth? Is it is it pricing growth? Or, or should I say maybe lack of promotions? You know, given what we've seen in COVID, what's really
3: driving that that growth? The vast the vast majority that's volume growth. Okay.
0: Okay. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. That is all the time we have today for questions. I will now turn the call back over to Michael McCain for closing remarks.
3: Well, thank you very much. Um, uh, I appreciate everybody's time today. Uh, I hope all of you uh, uh, stay focused on the on the. Uh, on the same things that we are focused on, the big rocks in in the Maple Leaf story. We've built a business for growth. We're delivering uh, higher levels of growth than anybody in the CPG industry that I'm aware of uh, as peers uh, in our meat business. And we obviously have invested heavily in the high-growth plant-based business. Uh, Long-term, we're very excited about the the returns that that will generate, uh, but we're equally excited about our purposeful journey to do so in a sustainable fashion Um, uh, these are very challenging times Uh, we've tried to focus on you know our both the long uh, the long term interests of the uh, of our strategy uh, but also the near-term challenges that all the stakeholders are experiencing and and to be very balanced in our commitment to shared value creation through these stressful times so very proud of our people as we've uh, persevered through this and uh, incredibly, incredibly proud uh, of how resilient and high-performing our business has been uh, through such challenging times. And so, uh, so um, you know, I look forward to the next quarter. We'll have an opportunity to update all of you, but, um, uh, and, you know, as we come into 2021, let's all hope and pray that we have uh, more stable conditions than what we've experienced this year uh, in spite of that resilience. So, Thank you for your time and look forward to uh, chatting next quarter.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and we ask that you please disconnect your lines at this time.
0: Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.